the Psalms are songs of God's people, songs of lament, songs of praise, of thanksgiving. And the unique thing about the Psalms is, yes, they are the words from God to us. They're words for suffering, struggling, and sinful people. But they are also God's words for us when we go through those times, words that we can use to cry out to him in our grief, words that we can use to call out for forgiveness and mercy. And our hope with this series is that these songs would nourish your soul, that they would draw you to God in praise, in dependence, and in thankfulness. So let me pray for us now. Gracious Father God, we give you thanks that you have given us words that speak of you and your son Jesus, but in the Psalms you've also given us words that we can bring to you in praise, in song, in thanks. Help us as we look at your word, open our hearts, our minds uh, to respond to you, to understand who you are, who Jesus is, and to give our lives in worship of you. Help me now to preach your word faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Michael Phelps is the greatest Olympic swimmer in history, 28 Olympic medals to his name, and a key part of his pre-race ritual was listening to music just before he competed. And Phelps explained why. I like to get into my own world. When I'm getting ready for a meet, I always have headphones on, listening to rap music to get myself fired up. Our songs are important to our souls, aren't they? They shape us, they lift us, they inspire us, they give us comfort, they give us voice to our experiences. And I wonder what songs are feeding your soul. As I was uh, deciding what to wear, I was thinking this morning, I'm too sexy for this shirt. <laughs> By right said Fred. And then, and then I realized I'm a creep, I'm a weirdo. By Radiohead. That's all the old people are, are laughing at these jokes. The young people are wondering, what is he talking about? But think of Adele. A whole generation of women are growing up with her songs. I mean, men like them, but there is something about writing an album at a certain age, because each album is titled a certain age that she's at, and it gives voice to a whole generation of women. Songs that are shaping the souls of those who listen to her, songs of love and loss. Will you let God's songs feed your soul? You see, the Psalms get us out of our own world, not like Michael Phelps into his world. They get us out of our own head and place us in God's world, in, in reality. They speak of love and loss as well. They speak of true hope beyond this life. These songs will inspire you. They will help you to weep. So can I encourage you to let these psalms shape your soul because you will be better for it. Let's look at Psalm 103, a psalm of David. Three things that I'm going to look at today. Remember God's blessings, verses 1 to 5. Know God as righteous king and compassionate father, verses 6 to 19, and declare God's praise. Verses 20 to 22. Well, firstly, remember God's blessing. Verse 1. My soul, bless the Lord, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. 
Psalm 103 is a psalm of praise. But notice that David uh, starts with his own soul, telling himself to praise God with all of his being. To bless someone is to do something good or to say something good for them. And so David the psalmist is saying something good about God. That's what praise is, isn't it? To declare the goodness of God's name. And the holy name of God, that reminds us of Exodus 3, where God revealed his name to Moses, Yahweh, the great I am, who was going to rescue Israel from slavery in Egypt. David the psalmist blesses God as a response to all the ways that he has been blessed by God. We see those blessings from verse 3 onwards. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagle. And the uh, picture you get of God is that he is active. He forgives. He heals. He redeems, crowns, and satisfies. Every good thing in your life comes from the hand of God, not your own hand. We, on the other hand, we're helpless, we're hopeless. People who break God's covenant because of our iniquity, another word for sin. And the pit represents a place of despair and imminent death. In the book of Genesis, think of Joseph thrown into the pit by his brothers. The pit can also represent where we get to because of our own sin. We deserve judgment for our sin, and yet it is God who redeems us, buys us out of the pit of our sin and death. And he blesses us with goodness, with strength, as though we were soaring on the wings of a majestic eagle. And the question is, why does he do all this? Because of his steadfast, faithful love in verse 4, his compassion. Verse 2, my soul bless the Lord and do not forget all his benefits. Why does David need to remind his own soul of God's actions and his character? Because I think it's very easy to forget. This past Monday, we commemorated another Anzac Day. Every town, every suburb you go to in Australia, you will find a plaque a memorial of the names of the young men and women who died in those wars, lest we forget. That's what that means. Let's not repeat the same mistakes. Let's not forget their sacrifice. Let's not forget how they blessed us. That's why we remember Anzac Day. You see why David reminds his own soul? Because it's easy to forget what God has done for us. Why did God tell the Israelites to celebrate the Passover every year so they would not forget God's rescue? Why are we going to celebrate the Lord's Supper here today so as to remember and not forget God's rescue of us in Christ? And you resist forgetfulness by praising God in your own soul. Uh, How many of us forgot God's goodness during lockdown. You know, regardless of what you lost in those two years, you can still say, my soul, bless the Lord. I tell myself, do not forget all his benefits. 
You see, it's a choice to bless God, isn't it? It's a habit that we can form to be thankful to God in plenty or in want. Well, in the next section of the Psalms, of this Psalm, we are presented with two very different pictures of God, the righteous king and the compassionate father. And both are essential if we want to know God rightly. Well, firstly, know God as righteous king. Verse 6, the Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He revealed his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. Uh, Jump down to verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Well, not only did God reveal his name to Moses, but at Mount Sinai, God enters a covenant with his people. He gives them his law and they are to obey that law if they're going to enjoy the blessings of the covenant. And remember in the book of Exodus, it was only Moses who could approach God at Mount Sinai. Anyone else, if they came near or even touched the mountain, they would die. For God is an awesome and holy God. You do not approach him any way you choose, for he is sovereign. He is the righteous king. And justice and righteousness matter to the righteous king. The Putins of this world will not escape judgment. And this king will not overlook the abuse, the murder of the vulnerable. Verse 17 tells us how we should respond to God as king. Verse 17, but from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love is toward those who fear him and his righteousness toward the grandchildren of those who keep his covenant, who remember to observe his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. To fear God is not to recoil in terror, but it is to bow our knee in humble adoration and obedience before our king. For we are not his equal. He does not obey us. We need to obey him. We are his loyal subjects. He rules on his throne. He is the king and we are not. So we bow our knee. Uh, Martin Scorsese, a Hollywood director, said of the most recent film he made called The Irishman, he said, I would suggest if you ever want to see one of my pictures, one of or most films, please, please don't look at it on a phone. Please. An iPad, a big iPad maybe. Uh, this was the first movie that he had ever released on Netflix. All the movies he'd made prior to this were released on the big screen of the movie theater. And his movie is a big and long story. It's a complex story. And Scorsese wanted people to be impacted by the story and watching it on a phone could not convey what he intended. I know because I watched his movie on my phone. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure... Like most of what I watch on Netflix, on my phone, it leaves very little impact on me. You might be the same. My short attention span is all that I can bear. And I think we often do the same to God, don't we? We like him in the small iPhone-sized chunks. Like all our other consumer content, we want to digest God when it suits us. And then when we lose interest, 
we just put him back in our pockets. The companion psalm to Psalm 103 is Psalm 104. And it begins with the psalmist saying, my soul bless the Lord, but it's all about praising God as the creator. God who makes the clouds his chariot. God who causes the water to gush down mountains and through valleys. God who produces crops to feed people and gladden their hearts. God who satisfies the thirst of humans and animals. God who causes the sun to rise. God who gives breath and takes life away. I would encourage you to read Psalm 104 after the service because it is God on the big screen. God who is awesome who takes your breath away, for that is the majesty of the eternal king. And then on the other hand, there's us. Verse 14, for he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower of the field. When the wind passes over it, it vanishes and its place is no longer known. You know, after you mow the lawn, you're left with these little grass clippings that lie on your lawn. And after a few days, they turn yellow and then they wither and eventually they're blown away by the wind. And the psalmist here, David, is saying that that is you and me. We are those frail and fragile grass clippings. You know, when I die, I want that put on my memorial stone. Here lies Andy May. His life was grass clippings. Here today, gone tomorrow. In my line of work, I conduct funerals. I see people breathe their last in hospitals, in nursing homes. I've seen life support systems being turned off, both children and adults dying before my eyes. And one day, that will be me. As if I never existed. Yes, people will grieve for a little while, but eventually no one will remember me. Sobering, isn't it? We spend so much time not wanting to think about our own mortality, but when it comes down to it, we are dust, grass clippings on the lawn. We get so caught up with our lives, don't we? Checking our social media accounts, comparing our lives to that of others, and we know we don't feel great when we hop off, don't we? We feel envious of the lives of other people living their best life. We feel terrible about our own body image. We get agitated and angry by the opinions of others. Let me put a spin on it from Psalm 103. When you do that, you are grass clippings comparing yourself to other grass clippings. And in the end, no one will remember you or them. God. Verse 14, for he knows that we are made what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. The eternal king remembers us. He knows our fragile and fallen nature, and he's the only one who can do something about it. Why? Because he is the compassionate father. Verse 13, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. If there is a word that strikes you repeatedly in this passage, it is the word compassion. 
You can see it in verse 4, 8, and 13. It has that sense of tender care. And along with God's compassion is God's faithful love, God's covenant love for his people, verses 8, 4, and 11. And together we have this picture of God as a father who gently tends to the needs of his children. But God's compassion is more than just tenderness and gentleness. There's an added dimension because Psalm 103 reminds us that we are sinners. We're not only fragile grass clippings, we're sinful grass clippings. Verse 3, he forgives all your iniquity. God needs to redeem us, to free us from sin and death. Verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in in faithful love. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever because of our sin. That's why God would be angry with us, because we have sinned against him and others. Verse 10, he has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. God's compassion towards us includes his mercy towards our sinfulness. We deserve judgment, but God's mercy, his compassion, means that he doesn't give us what we deserve for our sin. In fact, his grace gives us what we don't deserve, and that is to be treated as his dearly loved children. In verse 8, when the first hearers of Psalm 103 heard that description, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love, love, I'm sure they would immediately have thought of the golden calf incident back in Exodus. There's Moses, he's getting the Ten Commandments from God at the top of Mount Sinai. Uh, The people had already made a covenant with God to obey his commands And because Moses was taking longer than expected, the people decided to make a golden calf and to worship that instead of God. So in their rebellion, they sinned against God. And God ought to have destroyed them then and there, but he relented. And he revealed even more of himself to Moses. In Exodus 34, verse 6, the Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion and sin. The righteous king who cannot tolerate sin is also the compassionate father who is willing to forgive sin. In the New Testament, think of the parable of the lost son. As Jesus told in Luke 15, here depicted beautifully by Rembrandt, the Dutch master, think of this reckless, selfish son who squanders a significant part of his father's estate and then comes home with his tail between his legs and then listen to the father's response to this sinful rebel. Verse 20, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The compassionate father of that parable is, of course, God. And we are the selfish, sinful son whom God welcomes back with open arms. 
So let me ask you, do you know this God? God who is the righteous king and compassionate father. And it's important that is God is both and and not either or. The righteous king is strong in justice, but if that is all he is, then as sinners, we, we, we should just tremble with fear for he will punish us as we deserve condemnation and hell. The compassionate father is gentle and merciful in his dealings, but if that is all he is, then we might wonder if he really cares about sin and evil and injustice in the world. But God is both strong and gentle. God is both just and merciful. God is both righteous and compassionate. How many people in your life are like that? Strong and gentle. You know, I bet most of the people in your life are one or the other. They're strong but scary. They're gentle but weak. I wonder how many of you have had parents who are one or the other or neither. And that still affects how you view God to this day. And I want to encourage you to try another way. I want to encourage you to look at your parents through what you see about God today in the scriptures. Because he is the king you've always needed and he is the father you've always wanted. Strong and gentle. Do you know him? Because he's worth knowing. Now, some of you might be wondering, how do I reconcile these two very different pictures of God? Uh, If he's the righteous king, then he must punish sin. And if he's the compassionate father, well, then he must forgive sin. How can he possibly do both? Verse 12 gives us a clue. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions from us. In order for God to forgive sin, he must remove it by punishing it. And in the New Testament, we get an even fuller picture than what David had. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The death of Jesus on the cross is how God removes sin from us as far as the east is from the west. Our sin that deserves God's punishment is put upon Jesus who becomes sin for us and is therefore punished for us so that we might be forgiven and declared righteous. So it's at the cross where we reconcile God as the righteous king and the compassionate father. They do not cancel each other out. God is both at the same time. It's only at the cross that we can be reconciled to God as king and father, transcendent and personal, holy yet approachable. If you want to know this God, you must keep coming back to the cross of Christ. Our final point is declare God's praise. Bless the Lord, all his angels of great strength who do his word obedient to his command. Bless the Lord, all his armies, his servants who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, and all the places where he rules. My soul, bless the Lord. 
You know, what started as David singing to his own soul is now David telling every creature in heaven and earth and telling every part of God's creation to praise the God that he knows. In all the places where God rules, which is everywhere, the whole of creation ought to sing God's praise. And and then the psalmist comes full circle when David says, my soul, bless the Lord. And that is always the right conclusion, isn't it? When you truly know this God, God is worthy of all your worship. And when you know him like that, you cannot contain your praise. You want everyone to know him and to give him the praise that is his due. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1 has this explosion of praise in in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, similar to Psalm 103, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. You see, friends, life is all about the praise of God and his glorious grace. John Piper once said, mission exists because worship doesn't. When you know God, who he truly is, righteous and compassionate, the one who remembers the frail and the fallen and is willing to forgive sinful grass clippings like us and give us eternal life, you want everyone to know and worship him. Let this be your motivation to share the gospel. God deserves our praise, doesn't he? Our worship. Let me finish. I'll ask you, what song are you going to sing on your deathbed? I Did It My Way by Frank Sinatra. It's very popular at funerals. Good old Collingwood forever. You can do better. Uh, One of my heroes died a month ago, Ray Davidson from our church. I had the privilege of spending time with her in the last weeks of her life. She'd stopped eating five weeks before she died. And about two weeks before Ray died, on one of my visits, I sang the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, with her and her husband Ray of 66 years, her husband Harold of 66 years. And Ray told me before we sang that it was sung at her father's funeral. And with what little breath she had left as she lay on her bed, Ray sang to the God whom she would soon meet. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. You see, the thing about people like Ray is that they are at their most peaceful, their most joyful when God is big and they are small. When they declare God's praise to the world and to their soul, with their dying breath. Will you sing like Ray?
in life and in death. My soul, praise the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Father, righteous King, you deserve all our worship for you have blessed us so richly in Christ. You've redeemed us from the pit. You've crowned us. You've satisfied us. You remember that we are just dust, grass clippings without you. Help us to bow our knee. Help us to run to you. Help us to worship you in our song. In Jesus' name, amen.